Good morning. How are you guys doing? Ed's awake. He just said good morning louder than all of you put together. So, <laughs> all right. All right. If you guys um, turn to James two twenty three for me. All right, James 2.23 says, that's what the scripture says when it says, Abraham entrusted himself to God, and God credited him with righteousness and living by faith, or excuse me, living by a faithful life, Abraham earned the title God's friend. So, what I want you guys to focus on is the first part, it says Abraham entrusted himself to God. So I don't know what your translation says, but um, it may say... Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Um, this is a little bit of an expanded um, uh, version I'm reading from here, but entrusted. So when we were younger, we had, after we had our kids, we're like, okay, we have to uh, write a will. We want to have a will. So if anything happened to us when our kids were, you know, in an age that we couldn't take care of them or they couldn't take care of themselves, we would entrust them to somebody. So what happened was is this, is we took and said, okay, if this happens, this is what, who they go to or this is who's going to take care of them. So this is what Abraham did. He entrusted himself to God. That's, that's, a, that's a huge step. He didn't just say, okay, God, you're going to help me along the way. He's like, I trust you. I'm going to give everything to you and I trust you to take care of me. And I, and I entrust every part of my being to you. And, um, and God credited him with righteousness because he did that. That's a huge step to think about this, taking everything you are and saying, okay, I'm going to give it to this person or th- and let you do everything. I'm going to let you be in control of my life, tell me what to do, when not to do it. Um, for us in America, that is very hard because we're all like, don't tread on me and don't, you know, give me liberty or give me death. And, you know, we think about all these, these, we're so individualistic in our country that we don't understand um, sovereignty and we don't understand having um, one person that can, can control your life. Not that they're going to lord over you or control you, but we, we find it hard in our country to, to submit ourselves to a, a leader or a ruler because we don't like it. Um, I was talking to somebody, and they're like, "Oh man, politics is just so bad." And I, I, don't, I don't like to bring up politics from from the from the pulpit, but he's like, "Oh, politics are just this is crazy." I said, "You know what? We are just catching up with the rest of the world on how crazy their politicians are and how people react when they don't like something." I said, "You you think this is bad?" I said, "Go to a third world country or go to another country, and when someone is is elected that they don't want, they don't just." protest and, and you know, uh, hug, hug each other and wait for everything to change, they riot in streets because they don't trust the, the leaders that they voted for or the people that they voted for. And for us, it's hard to trust sometimes a, um, a person. But what happens is, is this, is, is our, because we're so individualistic, we tend not to put our trust in the right areas. We put our trust in the economy, the president, our, our governors, our senators, our 
our congressman, whatever it is, we put our trust in there. And, and we tend to look at, at rulers and say, okay, I'm putting my trust in you to do what I ask you to do. But what we don't realize is by us putting our trust in, in people, we take our trust out of, of the hands of God and put it into the people. And when they fail us, we're like, well, why do they do that? Because they're human. All, men, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They cannot be God. So what I'm telling you is take all your eggs and put them in one basket, and that's God's hands. You know, we always say that in, in the business world and in life, don't put all your eggs in one basket because somebody comes by and takes your basket and then you don't have any eggs. Um, but what I'm saying is all of our trust, all of our, our hope needs to be placed in the hands of Jesus. And, and God said, I trust, Abraham said, I trust myself to God. I trust who I am as a person to God. He's not saying, well, you know, I really, I really like God and he's a really good helper in my walk. And that's where a lot of us become is God's the helper instead of the handler. And it's like, well, I just trust Jesus. You know, it, you know that there's this really, really, really stupid country song that came out. It was called Jesus Take the Wheel. I'm like, where were you driving anyway? I'm like, come on. I mean, like, let's just, let's just focus on God as our handler, not our, at our, as our helper. A handler is always going to look. If you look, and this is a, a military term, but a handler, what they do is they always look at their person and they always are looking for how to get them to where they need to go and how they need to get them there. They, it's whether it's flights or cars or whatever, and they have a person, they call them up and they, and they will say, okay, this is what you need to do. Um, and this is where you need to go. But we look at God as the helper. Come walk with me, God, where I want to go. But the handler says, this is where you're going to go, and this is how you're going to do it. This is your objective. This is where you need to go. This is how you're going to get there, and this is what you're going to do when you get there. But we're like, oh, come on, God, we're going to go for a ride. And then we're like, oh, crap, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, it's like. (laughs) But why, why why do we get to that point where we're like, we, we have to call on him to take it instead of it should have been always in his hands. Abraham placed everything in, in God's hands and said, I trust everything I am. My toes, my head, my fingers, everything. My life, my finances, my wife, my children, my goats, my sheep, my tents, everything is entrusted to you. It says he entrusted himself to God and God counted it as righteousness. Okay, so before Jesus, there was righteousness was it was a, a very unused term in, in some ways because there was no way for a man to be righteous in the sight of God without Jesus. But because a few of these men in the Bible had an understanding of God and had a relationship with God that was so was so strong that they had righteousness in God's sight. The only way we can get righteousness is through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers us. It contains us. It surrounds us so God looks at us and says, okay, you're righteous. But Abraham had that credit to him that he was righteous. I mean, how awesome is that that God just says, yeah. He's like, yeah, God credited me as righteous. I got a little badge here. It shows who I am. God says I'm righteous. That's a huge thing in the Old Testament. But it says he credited him with righteousness and living a faithful life 
earned Abraham the title God's friend. He placed everything in God's hand and God called him his friend. That's huge. Friendship started in the garden. God and Adam had bro time. They had a few days before Eve was, they had some bro time and they're just chilling out, they're talking and God creates Eve because God knew Adam needed something more. It wasn't just the helpmate, the wife that he needed. He needed friendship. He needed someone to, I don't know, walk around the garden and say, yeah, I don't want this today. Go do their grocery list as they walk through the garden. I don't know what they did. You know, but he needed friendship. God knew that as a human being, even though they had that such a close relationship, God knew that he needed a human being to help him through his life. He needed friendship. He needed a closeness. And what happens is, is God created his he created Eve as his wife, but it wasn't just as the wife. It was the friendship that came out of her being created because he knew that they needed someone close to connect with. God created Eve for Adam to have someone not just to help him through life, but to keep him company. How many, how many of you guys have people that you like to keep help you or help you like to keep company with, but you're like, I don't want them as a helpmate. Like you can think of people that are your friends. You're like, I would never have them as a helpmate because I, I can't do it. But you love them as a friend. You love them as a friend. They encourage you. They, they, they are always there. They, they build you up. They are always there saying, hey, how is life? What's going on? Where are you at? But you wouldn't have them as a helpmate. They, they are a friend and they're encouraging, but they're not a helpmate. So friendship was designed as a bond. And sometimes those bonds are broken. As we look in the garden, God brought Adam in and to the garden and said, I've created this for you. This entire garden is here for you and your, and your wife. God didn't want them as subjects. He wanted them as friends. He didn't want them to rule over them. He had everything for them because he said, if you place your trust in me, everything will be taken care of. The same way that, that um, uh, Abraham did it, he said, I will take care of you. You place your trust in me. I ask you not to do one thing. We've said that to our child, right? We've probably said that to our spouses too. I, one thing. Or, you know, I'm sorry, this is, this is husbands. You come home or your wife's come home and they'll ask you to do one thing. And you're like, oh, I forgot. What was that one thing? It wasn't spelled out on the kitchen counter or a big piece of paper or a banner when I got home said, do this. And you're like, yeah, I got pulled in the driveway and I was like, I'm going to do that. And then as soon as you walked in the house, I'm like, oh, look, I can go do this or I can go do this. And God said, I need you to do one thing. Don't do this. God, God had not created them to rule and be subject over them. He created them as friends because God wasn't lonely. God doesn't get lonely, but God wanted companionship and he wanted relationship with free will. And he wanted that. And he basically created them to have friendship with them. Yes, he did rule over them because he was God. He rules over everything. But he wasn't like, well, I created you to be my subjects and I'm going to tell you to do this and I'm going to tell you to do this. And he just said, I just ask you to do one thing. Don't eat of this tree. But everything else will be taken care of in your life. 
But what I love about Abraham is he didn't do everything right. <laughs> you look back and he goes into, um, uh, what was it? I think, I don't remember what, it was e- Egypt. And he says to his wife, he's like, hey, um, I don't want them to take you from me and I don't want you to, them to abuse you. So we're just going to call you my sister when we go in and it's going to be okay. And you look at Abraham, and, and did he make mistakes? Absolutely. He, he did some really weird things and really stupid things, and, and haven't we all? But his faith earned him righteousness. And it earned him the title God's friend. And I, I mean, if there's anything that you want to earn in life or be is God's friend, that's an amazing title. He probably had a shirt, had it printed up, said God's friend. On the back says only one, you know. Um, at that time, he probably was. But, um, you know, I look at Moses, Abraham, David. Those are really three really screwed up guys. But they all had different aspects of being God's friend. David was man after God's own heart. If you look at David's track record, like, hey, there's a chick over there. I want her, but she's married. I'm going to kill her husband, take her. God's like, you're still a man after my own heart. Because he knew repentance. He knew how to repent. He knew that what he had done was wrong, even though he was still continuing to go on to it and God had to put the prophet in front of him and the high priest in front of him and say, hey, this is what's going on. You're not doing what's right. David repented, but David paid for it. He paid for that, but David repented and God said, you know what, because your heart is for me, even though you have sinned, you're still a man after my own heart. You look at Moses. Moses, he murders people. He, uh, he can't speak, and he's like, okay, um, I don't know if I really believe in you at first. He's raised in an Egyptian culture, and he's like, you know what? I don't really want this. You know, you look at through the, the, the uh, book of Exodus, and, and before the children of Israel go into the promised land, Moses is, is like, I want to beat you all with this stick. Uh, staff that God gave me, you're all a bunch of mouthy people. I'm, you know, and Joshua's there to like, okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. But Moses is like, you know what? He's frustrated with them, and he's like, he bur- he hits the rock, and God says, command it. So it's command the rock, but he hits the rock, and because of his disobedience, he didn't go into the promised land. But look what God. If you look at what they talk about Moses, Moses had such a relationship with God. Um, I saw this really cool meme um, that, um, and it shows Moses coming down from the mountain, and and um, and it says that uh, he was the first person to come from have uh, come from the cloud and use a tablet, and um, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, for technology people, you get that. But the rest of you, if you don't understand technology, that's okay. Um, I'm a nerd like that. Um, and it was pretty fun, but he had that relationship with God. God shows up in the form of a burning bush, and and he tells Moses, he says, Moses is like, who the heck are you? He says, I am who I am. And, and, and then Moses, because he is human, and because he was created in the image of God, understands who, what God is talking about. And he removes his sandals because God says you're on holy ground. See, what, what's funny is, is that people think, well, we got to go to the church and we stand in the, in the sanctuary by the altar and it's holy ground. No, God can make anything holy anywhere he is at any time. He can take dirt and make it holy. He can take a sinner and make it holy. But what he does is God says, I'm going to show up wherever I want to and it's going to be holy ground because I am there, I am present. 
and I am in, in, I'm having a conversation with you. So how, how many of you guys know that the mountain that, and the bush that God was there in his presence, it wasn't the sand holy before God showed up. God made it holy when he showed up and he said, this is holy ground because I am here. It's the same way with the tabernacle. You could only go through so many layers of the ta- in the, to the tabernacle before you were on holy ground. And you had to be pure before God in that point. But God befriends Moses. He doesn't just say, oh, by the way, here, you're going to go do this. If you look at this, God is having a conversation with Moses. And God wants a friendship with us. Not, yes, he is our king, and I'm not discounting the, his 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 sovereignty and his kingship and his headship over us, but he's not looking for subjects. God is looking for someone to live life with. He is the Alpha and the Omega, but he wants his children to have life, and he wants to live life with them. And so we look at Moses, Abraham, and David they had intimate relationship with God. He knew them and they knew him. They spent time with him and they walked with him. Think about this. It talks about in the garden where um, Adam and Eve, um, they walked with God. And once they sinned, he, they hid and God was coming through in the cool of the day. And so that, that means God spent time with his people. That spent time with his creation. It wasn't just like, oh, boom, there you are. I'm an absentee. God didn't create people and then just go, okay, yeah. And, and what happens in, in our society is, is we have so many views of God that are, are misconstrued that God is an absentee father and he just put us on his earth and he just left us alone for us to just fall apart. That is not God. God is like, I'm going to, lo- I'm going to put you on this earth and I'm going to love you, but all you have to do is love me. If you notice that these three men didn't, it wasn't just a one-sided relationship. It wasn't God just loved them and called them that. It was a two-sided relationship where they, it was a reciprocal, where they, they talked to God and God talked to them. And they, God talked to them and they talked back to him. There was something about it that it wasn't just there. That's friendship. Being a friend of God means you're talking with him, that you're communicating with him. And there's sometimes where you come to him as king and sometimes you come to him as lord, but there's other times you just, uh, you're just like, hey, I just need to talk. I need to vent. We all have friends that we just vent to. Don't, if you have more than like three friends that you vent to, it's just gossip. So find one good friend or two good friends and vent to them and make sure they don't gossip. So, but they had communication with God. They loved God and, and they had this relationship with him that David I love reading the Psalms because David is like the most miserable person in the next scripture. He's like, oh, everything's good. And then he's miserable. But he's writing from his experience that he, he's crying out to God and he's like, hey, I need help. I'm struggling here. And, and what friendship does is, is a friend, uh, being a friend of God, it's not just, God, I need you to fix my problems. It's like, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you, what's going on? You guys ever had that conversation? You're we're talking with God and you're just like, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't need you to step in and make something magically appear for me, but I just need to know what, what is right. What is, what is good? What is holy? What is pure? There's times where you, need, you just go to God and you're just like, I need your wisdom. And I, I believe in our life we should have friends that way too. We go to and just say, I need your wisdom. 
I need your wisdom because I don't know what to do in this situation. We all need that person that is smarter than us, wiser than us, and has more experience than us. John 15, 12 through 14 says, so this is my command. He says, love each other deeply. I'm reading from the Passion Translation right now because I really love um, that translation. It says, love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is the one who sacrifices himself for everyone. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. So I want you to understand this though. Friends is not a new word. 3,000 years ago, they used this word. We've, we've taken friendship and kind of, thank you. We've taken friendship and turned it into, well, you're just a friend. So the Aramaic word of friends actually means family or relatives. That, that puts the, sheds a whole new light on things, doesn't it? You're like, oh, you're just my friend. Don't really like that friend, but, um, but think about this. It means family or relatives. So Jesus, when he's saying, no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his family, his relatives. Jesus isn't just saying friends. He's, he's, he's coming to the heart, saying, I'm laying my life down for my daughter, my son, my mother, my father. So when he calls us friends, he doesn't mean just friends. God is my friend because he's my father. He's my friend because he created me. There's no other way to, I don't just call on God and say, hey, you want to be my friend? He's like, well, friend request accepted. It doesn't work that way. God is is standing there. It says, the scripture where it says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's waiting at the door and saying, okay, do you want to be my friend? Because I am desperately wanting to be your friend. And God is desperate to be our friend. He's desperate for us to be part of his family. He, he doesn't, oh, I can't, I can't do this. No, but desperation is, I'm not talking like desperate, like I'll do anything to get the job done. He's just saying, I'm longing, I'm waiting, and I'm standing here for you to just accept me. But I love how Jesus says, he goes, it's not, the Aramaic is, is actually family. And verse 14 of John 15, John fifteen fourteen says, And you, sh- you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I have commanded you. So what did Jesus say? He says, I want you to love each other deeply as I have loved you. He says, love each other deeply as I have loved you. So that means that we have to love other people the same way Jesus loves his what? Family. Not his friends, his family. We all need friendship. And friendship in the body of Christ is family. You know, we, have, we may have people that we, are, we know outside of the church that we're friends with that, that, don't, that aren't part of the, where we attend or part of our body, but that doesn't matter. If they're a born-again believer, they are a friend of God and they are part of the family of God. So that friend part of it, it throws a curveball at you at first. You're like, oh yeah, I want to be God's friend. 
But then when you really understand what the word means, you're like, that makes more sense. It makes more sense to know that God loves us, not like a friend, but as a son and a daughter. You know, Jesus commanded us to love like he had loved us. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus on earth, three years of ministry revolutionized the entire world uh, and the church. And it created something that has lasted thousands of years. And what's funny is this, is if you look at where Jesus is saying this, he's speaking. When he is speaking, Judas is still in his group. Judas is still in his group of followers. It's not after, he, it's not after the, the, the Last Supper and Judas scurries off to go do what he needs to do. He says, I call you my friends. No, he's calling him that even though Jesus knows what's happening. What, what Jesus knew was, I'm going to be betrayed by this man who I call my friend, who I call my family. And You know, I, I believe in our, in our life, friendship with God is this, is we call on God as our Father, and He is there, and he, he supplies us with wisdom, and He supplies us with hope and joy. And, but what happens is, is sometimes we take aspects of our relationship with God, and we try to pull them into the natural world and say, okay, well, you know, I, I really need some joy, so I'm going to place my joy, I'm going to take it out of God's hands, and I'm going to place it into this person's hand because they really bring me joy when I'm with them. And, and, and we take it and we say, okay, God, I really need this because I really have a lot of joy when I'm with this person, so I'm going to take it, I'm going to go place it in their hands, and you set it in their hands. And what happens is, is then we take, oh man, I got a lot of joy. I see that person once a week and they bring, bring me joy. That is my source of joy. And then we take our hope and we pull it out of God's hands and say, you know what? Here's my boss. And we put it in their hands. And we pull these little things, pull little things, little things, little things. But what we don't realize is when we take the little thing, it's actually huge. Because what happens is, is this. When it's in God's hands, it's little. We pull our joy and we take this huge item that's in our life and we pull it out of God's huge hands and we place it in someone's hands that cannot hold it. They cannot bear it. They cannot maintain it and they cannot do anything with it. We are not a, a source of life for joy. God is. We are not a source of hope. God is. And when you place that in someone else's hands, you're saying, oh, please don't disappoint me. Please don't screw this up because I don't know what I'm going to do. And we've all done this. We've all placed our hope in different areas in, in life into someone else's hands or something else. And we're like, oh crap, now what? Because we've had friends that walk away from us, betray us, turn their back on us. Or just walked out of their life. We've all been there. We've all had friendships and relationships that have torn us apart because we didn't realize that when we put the, that little bit of what we thought w into their hands was actually huge. 
It's destroyed us. You know, that pain can last. The feeling of abandonment, loss, rejection, hopelessness. It's like, man, I had so much hope for this, and it was so good, and then it just, they just turned and walked away from me. Because all your hope was placed in that relationship with that person and, and expecting them to be able to carry what you were expecting, what God should have been carrying. You placed all of that into their basket, and when that basket broke because of the weight of, of your joy, they couldn't maintain and then it fell down on the ground and you're like, well, wh- why did it happen? Because you placed everything in their hands and said, okay, God, I want to pull this from you. Sometimes we're to blame, though. If you keep losing friends, it might be you. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you keep losing friends, it might be you. But if you don't, then you need to look at your friendships and say, am I stupid with my friendships? Am I being friends with people who are not good for, or not going to be good friends to me? And then you have to look at yourself and say, how can I be a better friend? So what happens is, is we, we tend to, well, I want to be everybody's friend. That's, that's the human thing is to be accepted and to, and to be loved. And until we fill that void with, with the love of Christ in our hearts and, and understanding who God is, and he, it's not he, that he calls us friends, that we're his friend, but that means family. Until we fill that void and stop searching for people to, to hold the little items that God holds, you're going to keep running into the same situation. You're always going to be disappointed in a person. You're always going to be upset with a person. You're always going to have someone leave you and abandon you and speak bad about you and and betray you because you've handed them things that they cannot carry and they should not carry and they should not have permission to carry. If you're a good friend, you will experience the loss when people say, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. You're my people, which is a common church thing we got to quit saying. And uh, the next moment, they're going to turn, walk away, turn on you, and slander your name. And it's going to happen. If you don't want that to happen, put yourself in a, in a bomb shelter and don't ever talk to anybody. But eventually, you're going to betray yourself because you're going to go crazy because you don't have a relationship with anybody else. Proverbs 18.24 says, Some friendships don't last long, but there is a, a, friend, a loving wo- friend who is joined to your heart and closer than any other. I remember in, uh, when Sarah and I first um, started dating, and this was probably, I don't know, two months after we started dating, and I was just like, I don't like any of your friends. And she's like, what? I said, I don't like any of your friends. And, and this is, I, if you know me, I'm just pretty much to the point. And I, don't, I, I, try, I, I try to give people candy and throw some candy at them first, make them happy, and then I tell them because that's how I sugarcoat things. Um, <laughs> just throw candy at them. Here, here's a Reese's cup. Now I got to tell you something. And I just said to her, I don't know, remember what we were doing. I think we were just driving. And, and I just said, I don't like your friends. And, and I, I, you know, I... I 
yeah, I, I liked one. one friend. I'm sorry. I liked one of her friends. But it wasn't like I just didn't want her to have friends. I didn't try to pull her away from people. I didn't want her to be, oh, I can't have her talk. She's mine. I've got to isolate her. I didn't try to do that. But I said, I don't like your friends. And, you know, she's seven. You know, you were yeah, almost 18 at the time. And I was like, I don't like your friends. And she started, she's like, I'm like, I look at her face and she's like, crap, I got like four months of high school left to go. (laughs) How am I going to deal with this? But we both, after talking about it, we both realized how toxic the friendship was and how draining the friendship was and how it, it took a, it, it, it was constantly Sarah's the bad person or Sarah is wrong and these people were, were always building themselves up as a platform on Sarah. And you will have people like that. They're your friends and the next moment they're going, oh yeah, you're just my platform for the next moment to where I get to go. They will use you as a stepping stone. They will set, set you up and then they'll go, oops, oh, I'm sorry, you tripped. There we go. Oh man, oh look, next level for me. But God says, I am closer than a brother. I love you more dearly. I love you more closely than a brother. He says, I want to be joined at the heart. It's not about what you can do for me as a person. It's not, oh, well, you, you help me with this and, and um, I got this from you, so I'm, I'm your friend now. He says, I want to be joined at your heart. You know, we, we look at our... our, our our world, and everything is, is based on what you can do for me. What can I get from this to get this? You know, like uh, we borrowed some dominoes from the Albuses a couple of days ago. We are playing them. And they're like, I could be like, well, if John didn't give me the, the, the dominoes for us to play, I just don't, don't want to be his friend anymore. <laughs> think, think about that. Think how petty that is. But think about this. Well, I just didn't really like what they said to me, so I'm not going to be their friend anymore. But if you really think about that, that's just as petty as, well, you didn't let me borrow the dominoes, so I'm going to be. Because, it, I know, I love you, John. <laughs> but, but if we think about this, that's a ridiculous statement for me to say. That I don't want to have any relationship with them because of, of what he wouldn't let me do. But we say the same thing about people. Well, they just wouldn't let me do this. Or they wouldn't let me do this. And I don't want to be friends with them. Little things in life will cause people to turn on you. And little things in life will cause you to turn on people. Unless you look at the love of Christ and say, how do I love this person like Jesus loved them? And look at them as family, not friends. I I am their friend, but I have to love them like family. Love them like Christ loves them. So to be God's friend means that you're in his family. The moment you are born again, that means that you are God's son and you are his daughter, that you are royalty. That means he brings you in like the, the, the prodigal son. I love that parable because it, 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 I, it's not about the first son, it's about the, the second son. The first son, yeah, we know he's dumb. He does stupid things and he comes back. But what happens is the father is standing they're looking for him. So think about this. So he, say he's gone two years, and the guy, the guy goes back and looks every day. What I love about that is, was it a random chance that he saw his son coming? 
Was he sitting up high enough to where he saw his son coming that one time, maybe out of two years? No, that means he was perched up there constantly looking for his son, saying, where is he? I want him to come home. I want him back. He was looking for him continuously. He wasn't just like, go up there five minutes. Nope, don't see him. Okay, I'm going to go back down. He spent that time up there on the top of his house or wherever he was on the hill to look for him to come. But when he does come back, he brings him in and he says, you know what? Kill the fatted calf. Give me a robe. Give me a ring. I'm going to put it on him. And that's what God does to us. We, we come in as his sons and his daughters. And he says, give me a robe. Give me a ring. Kill a fatted calf. Another, my son is back. My daughter is back. We were created to be his sons and daughters from the, the moment we were born, but sin stepped in the way. Adam and Eve were created to be sons and daughters, but sin was allowed in. And because we're born into sin, we have to make that choice to be God's friend. We have to make that choice to enter in and say, yes, I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to take the ring. I want to take the robe. But with that robe and that ring, there's a responsibility. That doesn't mean we're just like, yeah, God's my buddy. He's my homeboy. It's not that way. When you take that robe and you take that ring, there's a responsibility. That means you have some responsibility in the house of the Father that you have to fulfill. John fifteen fifteen continues on. It says, I never called you servants because a master does not confide in his servants and a servants don't understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. I reveal to you everything that I have heard from my father. In some translations, he says, I now call you friends. And when you realize the translation of the Aramaic, it makes you start to think when you're brought into the family of God, you understand why he says, I call you friends now. Because he's actually calling you my family. You are my son. You are my daughter. Servants don't understand what the master is doing. He just tells them, go do this. But sons and daughters have that responsibility in the house. They put the ring on and say, this is my father's ring. He gave this to me. This is the robe he put on me. I now have a responsibility in the house. I am a friend of God. I am his son. I am his daughter. And this is my responsibility to love others like I have been loved. Why did Jesus say, love deeply as I have loved you? Because the heart of the Father has to be in him. Or excuse me, the heart of the Father was in him and it has to be in you to love others deeply like he has loved. It's impossible for us to love like Jesus has done, but we can try. We can put effort into it every day to love other people like he has loved. And I look at that and it's like, in, in little hyphens, they should have put impossible task, but keep trying. Uh, one of the translations, the ESV says, no longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So that means Jesus, he's saying, hey, I'm not just, you're not going to be told what to do. He's like, I'm letting you know what God has told me. I'm letting you know what the father is telling me, so you will know what to do. That's why the Great Commission, he says, go. He, he doesn't, he, he's giving a heavenly command to an earthly person saying this is what needs to happen for the the kingdom of God to advance. 
I love uh, Proverbs twenty two eleven. We we'll finish with this. It says, "He will, he who loves purity of the heart and whose speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend." He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. You know, I look at, if we look at our lives, I look at my life, I can say, I can say I've been a friend of God. But on my part, I've been unfaithful. And I can never be perfect. Have I been a good friend to God? Absolutely not. But he has been a good friend to me. There's been moments where I've walked and said, you know what? (sighs) I doubt my friendship. I doubt what you can do for me. We've all been in those moments where we've looked at God and said, are you doing something? Because I'm really struggling to see if you're actually doing something. But we've... As human beings, we are unfaithful. But what I love about it is 1 John 1, 19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you guys don't realize is a majority of what I th- preach on a, on a any time is... Um, most of the inspiration does not come from me listening to something else or listening to someone speak on something. Um, It comes from me, a lot of times I'll read um, ancient um, uh, manuscripts from like the 15th century of of people who are going through persecution. This one came from two two lines in a song and I was just like, this just blew me away. And and the line of that song says, "It, it is the fortunate, in a fortunate turn of events, you asked me to be your friend. And I was like, my gosh, in that fortunate turn, he said, I want to be your friend. I want to know you. I want to be your friend. I don't want just this to be some thing that we do. He said, I want to be your friend. How fortunate is it that God looked on at us and said, I want to be your friend. He didn't just create us and say, okay, by the way, I'm done with you. He said, I love you. And he takes us by the hand and says, can I be your friend? He goes, I know you're not going to be the best friend to me, but can I be your friend? Because he is faithful to the end. How fortunate are we that the creator of the universe looks down and says, I want to be your friend, your friend, your friend, your friend, everybody's friend. But all you have to do is say, yeah, I'll be your friend. He knows who we are. And he says, let me change you. Let me bring you to where I'm going. Let me show you what I see. Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm not just going to fill you in after we've decided to do it. I'm going to let you know what's going on. It's not just going to happen. You're going to be privy to it. You're going to know what goes on because I call you my friend and that means you are my family. Let me be, he looks at us and says, can, will you be my son? Will you be my daughter? 
And he reaches down and he grabs us out of the muck and he grabs us out of life and the crap and the mire and he pulls us up and he says, isn't the view better here? Isn't it more stable here? Isn't it more loving here? And he draws us to himself and he says, I love you. I love you. You are my son and my daughter. And think about this. It calls Jesus our high priest, but he says that, we're, that he is our elder brother. And he, he goes, I sacrificed your brother for this. I sacrificed your older brother to bring you close to me. The ultimate sacrifice of him giving up his son and he brings him back and he brings his son back and he says, you did what you were supposed to do and now I can bring your brothers and your sisters in. He says, you are my friend, but you are my family. Let's pray.